Hello, and welcome to Recent Ramble, the spin-off show that nobody asked for. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And as we did last time, this show is dedicated to films that are coming out roundabout now. Uh, normally, George and I cover the films of our youth, the films of the 80s and the 90s. But we're doing this show. Why, why are we doing the recent one again, George? Remind me. Uh, well, we, you know, we thought that some people might be interested to hear our thoughts on more recent films, as well as banging on about the films of our youth in our standard show, Retro Ramble. Yes, and this time we're going to be taking a look at the latest Star Wars spin-off, uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. So we will talk about, um, you know, how we felt before we saw the film, what we think since, and obviously how it's been received and we'll then go on and have a look at Deadpool 2. And then we'll finish up. Is this, it's not going to be as long as our normal Retro Ramble episodes. This is going to be, bite-sized. I would say, yeah, bite-sized. So films coming out later on over the summer. So, George, before we start, do you want to give people a quick lowdown of what to expect? Uh, like yes, so uh, we, we are not film journalists, but we are just two guys that love talking about films. In this uh, particular episode of Recent Ramble, because they are new releases, we will be avoiding going into spoiler territory. So we will talk around it where possible. Occasionally, we might throw in some uh, some bad impressions. I'm not sure if there will be on this episode. Uh, but ultimately, um, we aim to to entertain and uh, start, you know, you know, feel free to join in on the, the conversation with us online on Facebook or on Twitter. Yeah, and we're on, we're on Instagram. Uh, you can listen to our regular show, which is dedicated to 80s and 90s uh, blockbuster classics that uh, George and I grew up on. But without further ado, uh, let's hit it. I'm a driver. I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? So, Solo, a Star Wars story. Well, before we... Just to give you a quick rundown, um, I'm, as I'm sure you probably heard, this is... Well, it was decided to do a origin story based on the Han Solo character from the original Star Wars. Um, it was going to, it covers how he meets Chewbacca, all the things you wanted to know. How did he get the Falcon? What the hell is the Kessel Run about? Uh, this isn't the first uh, Star Wars spin-off story, though, is it, George? No. So we had, uh, from a couple of years ago, we had Rogue One, which was set just before the original trilogy and which was all about the stealing of the Death Star plans. So this is the the second entry. Um, but actually, before sort of uh, people complain about how Disney are milking the, the Star Wars franchise slash ruining their childhood, um, the Han Solo spinoff in particular was um, suggested by George Lucas. So even before he sold to Disney, he was considering he'd wrote a treatment for a potential new uh, trilogy that the uh, you know episodes... Uh, seven, eight, and nine. Um, but he also uh, suggested some topics for potential spin-offs. Han Solo being one of them, uh, and potentially Boba Fett or uh, Obi Wan Kenobi being uh, some other suggestions as well. Yeah, but I think it's quite a different. T- 
tone and as George is going to go into there there've been some quite well publicized issues in the production um but i'd say even i've gone through my own character arc uh, with this film from going from being disgusted at the idea of them making it um to believing as we mentioned in our last recent ramble episode that i actually think it's going to do better than people think <laughs> so that shows how much i shows how much i know um so i've gone from that to actually uh watching the film and feeling um a very a very different way but before we go into that george do you want to give us a quick uh rundown on the some of the production challenges that were faced <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you say, you know, it's, it's been quite well publicised. So the, uh, I mean, Rogue One, the, the first Star Wars Star Wars story, that's a bit of a tongue twister, uh, spin-off, um, that it had some production problems of its own. Um, there was reshoots, I think they reshot the, the sort of the last third of the film. There was a new director came in, so uh, Tony Gilroy took over from original director Gareth Edwards, but Gareth Edwards' name is on the, the final film. And I think, despite those issues of Rogue One, it became it, it uh, turned out to be a very successful film, and a lot of people enjoyed it. So with Solo, um, it was originally going to be directed by uh, Chris Lord and oh, I don't know, uh, so Lord and Miller. So um, I think it's Chris Lord and Chris Miller who did uh, originally did the Jump Street films. They also did the Lego Movie. So. They're more comedy-based uh, writers, but they, they are, in the words of Mugatu, so hot <laughs> right now. Um, and their names were, were linked to a lot of projects. So they were brought on board. They were, they'd filmed uh, for four months uh, before they were effectively sacked. They left that classic over creative differences. Um, Star Wars head, Lucasfilm head, um, Kathleen Kennedy uh, brought in a new director uh, known as a safe pair of hands, Mr. Ron Howard. Um, so Ron Howard is, you know, um, a, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he's um, Richie Cunningham from uh, from Happy Days. So he was an actor in his youth, but he's brought as many a, a big film over the years. Um, I'm just trying to think of, of some of them. Um, yeah, Apollo, Apollo 13, Backdraft. Uh, he more recently did uh, Rush, the, the F1 film, Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brühl. Um, he's he's done a real mix and he's, he's you know, he is a very talented director. Obviously, you know, Apollo 13 is a classic film. And yeah, as, as a lot of people are saying, he is a safe pair of hands. It was a good choice for a replacement. Um so yes, yeah, but the uh, the reports are that um, due to Lucasfilm being unhappy with how much Lord and Miller had filmed, and to get his own uh, credit for being a director, because apparently it's, it's, you have to direct a certain amount of a film to get the directorial credit. So apparently, the reports are saying that Ron Howard filmed between seventy and eighty percent reshot footage for this film. Right. So that's that's quite a considerable investment for reshoots. Um, you know, reshooting seventy <laughs> percent of your film. Um, so, and in terms of the um, the casting, I mean, uh, Lord and Miller are responsible for all the casting. They the only casting change with the reshoots was uh, the villain uh, Paul Bettany took over from Michael K. Williams because he wasn't available for reshoots. But Lord and Miller are responsible for finding casting the role of Han Solo, which is a very daunting task. And I think that's the 
the main difference between this and Rogue One, because Rogue One, bar the, uh, you know, a, a, an extended cameo from Darth Vader and a, a CGI Peter Cushing, was was dealing with new characters that you weren't familiar with. Whereas this is touching on on holy ground with a an established character played perfectly by Harrison Ford that everyone loves, and it's that's the question: is how how do you replace Harrison Ford? And they essentially, yeah. well, sorry, uh, you, go on. No, no, just, just, and, and should they? Can they? You know, was it, was it, was there that that was kind of the feeling? I think that's what you and I discussed before this film got anywhere near coming out. We were like, is there really a need for this? But you know, well, it's it's, it's like it's you know it's the same as Indiana Jones, which they are you know talking they're going to do another one with Harrison Ford, but it is almost it's such an uh, established role. It's so. Um, linked to the actor, it's hard to imagine anyone else doing it. And um, so, yeah, they they auditioned thousands of people, I think, for this, and then they've ended up with this relatively uh, unknown actor, Alden Ehrenreich. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's safe to say that I think he does, you know, quite a, a decent uh, a job, a decent attempt at the role. I think he's he's got charm, he's got charisma, and he's not overtly trying to you know, um, do an impression of Harrison Ford. Yeah, and I think I had no problem with him. I think he's a good actor. Um, I think he had the grin down, and he's not tall enough, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll allow that. Yeah, I that that is an issue. I thought when I saw that that was kind of brought into the limelight when he stands next to Chewbacca. You're just like, wait a minute, Do, is he got, still got a growth spurt coming later on? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but maybe they should have made Chewbacca smaller. It's all about perspective. <laughs> These two midgets turn up, midget Han and midget Chewie. No one will tell the difference. Um, so should we uh, should we jump into our, our review? Yeah, go for it. You take, take us away. I've, I've just sort of split my notes out into what I liked and what I didn't like. I think, yeah, you and I were both going in with with well, reasonably sort of uh, low expectations, um, and I'd, it was getting positive reviews. Um, so I went, I went in sort of you know so with moderate to sort of you know mid- middling yeah uh, to, to high expectations. Um, I was in a very barely uh, you know filled screening in a very empty screening. Um, which was quite shocking considering it was the Monday after release and it had been a, a terrible like day weather-wise in London, been chucking it down. So you couldn't even use the excuse of, oh, it was really hot weather, that's why nobody's nobody's in. So there was about 20 people in my showing. Um, and yeah, I say I, I thought Alden Eric Wright was good. Um, I thought the casting, you know, was was really good on on a whole. I think um, Don Glover as Lando was brilliant. I wanted to see more of him. Um, I think it had um, the look and the sound of it. I mean, obviously, it's. I'm sure you'll agree. You know, Star Wars. The the sound effects are iconic, but and it had. You know, as with any Star Wars film, had great sound design. Yeah, absolutely, and it's and it's all done with that Star Wars theme playing through, and it's amazing what just playing that theme can do to an action sequence. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but it's funny, though, because I thought, uh, in retrospect, one of the weak points of Rogue One was the was the score. I thought the score was pretty bland and pretty ill-fitting um, with it. And I think the, the score in that uh, aspect was a, an, a, a casualty of the reshoots on that film. They had to change the composer on it. I think it was Michael mm-hmm. G- uh, Giacchino. <clears throat> 
Yeah, yeah Giacchino, who's um, a very beloved, famous uh, composer, did um, does a lot of the Disney Pixar films and uh, does um, he did the Star Trek films as well. Um, so I think he's a popular sort of a favorite collaborator of, of J.J. Abrams. But I just thought, yeah, his score on uh, on Rogue One was really flat. Um, but yeah, this one's got you know great score. Really like the cinematography. You know, they're going for a western feel. Um, you know, it, all uh, the, the locations like like a lot of the new Star Wars. There was there wasn't too much of a reliance on CGI backgrounds, which I thought was nice. Yeah, that did look good, and I liked the. I thought the costumes were great, and the fact that they they embellished that um, that reputation of Lando with his capes. He hasn't just got one cape; he's got a room <laughs> full of capes. Yeah, I, I, I did like the sort of the, the feeling they gave that Lando was a bit of a sex pest. He had his like it was basically his the Millennium Falcon is his love ship. Yeah. So, and it does, it does look shiny and new, but I mean, you've probably seen all of this in, you know, in the trailer, so we're not really spoiling anything, but there are some good comedy moments throughout the film. I think there's some good beats, there's some good jokes. Yes. Yeah, there are some, there are some good laugh out loud moments. Uh, There's some good banter, as you would hope, between uh, Han and Chewie and a little bit of nice bickering banter between Han and Lando. Again, I think that that's something they could have done more of. Um, I think they could have really played up um, that that relationship a bit more. But whether that is something they're potentially holding back for sequels to this, and I, I think guess that's what so. I, I think that's what I was a bit surprised at because I was um, assuming this was going to be like Rogue One and was going to be a one and out because there's only so much Han Solo story you can uh, you can tell before you get into. Um, you know, you catch up with a new hope. So, um, but yeah. it seems like between the lines that they're talking, if this film does well, and at, at this current stage, it's not. Um, but there's a potential for it to to be sequels. Um, I think I think there's going to be a lot of rethinking. But just just before we moved on to the cons, I mean, my one pro I would say about this film, and this is what Ron Howard has uh, brought to it, is that he continues to get relationships right. We've seen it in all of his films. He's very good. And that's one thing that stood out in this film is you learn more about the relationship between Han and Chewie than, than anything else, even if the actors don't necessarily pull off um, the relationships. He, he, he gets most of them right. I don't know what your feelings are about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, yeah, I think Ron Howard is very much a a, a people's uh, director. He is very good with his cast. And yeah, you're right, he gets very good sort of performances out of people on the most part. Um, I would say, yeah, some, some better than others. I mean, I think it's just down to, um, uh, I would say, yeah, the... the in terms of uh, Ulner and Wright, you get, get some good performances, the right amount of, of swagger and charm there. Um, I think, you know, Donald Glover is a very talented person. I mean, he's he's a, an actor, a comedian and a rapper. You know, the man has is endless talents. Um, but the I'd say what the, the weak links cast-wise, and I suppose we're moving on to, con, you know, uh, what's, what we didn't like about it, is I thought Mila Clark, so who plays the, the love interest, uh, she's um, Khaleesi from, from Game of Thrones. I think she, she's pretty, pretty bland. I mean, this is the second film role I've seen her in. Um, 
She was in the uh, the Terminator, last Terminator film that we shouldn't really speak of, but she's awful in that. And she's pretty bland in this. I think it could have could have done with a, a stronger actress with a stronger personality in this, uh, especially of what the roles required to be a little bit of a love interest, a little bit of a uh, an antagonist to Solo as well. Um, to talk. Well, I kind of, because I, I felt that generally about a few of the roles, you know, as I was saying, I think Howard gets the idea of the relationships right. And it worked with Han and Chewie because it was all Alden, Aaron Wright doing the work and Chewie making noises. So you're like, oh yeah. And it was well written, but it was, he was relying on the actors a lot. And I think he was let down by Clark because she was this multi-layered character who was a love interest. And, you know, then she becomes a more integral part of the plot, which we won't go into. Um, and then there's obviously Paul Bettany and his role and, and how his develops. And then there's, you could talk about uh, Woody Harrelson and even, you know, Sandy Newton, who's barely in it. And they, I think that shows that maybe Ron Howard was running about trying to hold the whole thing together, that he maybe didn't have the, you know, I don't know, the time left to focus on getting the most out of the actors. So, yeah. And that, um, and that, I think that you, you're always comparing this to Rogue One, aren't you? Yeah, um, for, for, for good or bad reasons. Um, and I say, I think that that's the, the issues that you're, you're trying to explain you know, fill in the gaps of, of the story that people already know, like people, you know, that um, in terms of who Han Solo is, why did Han Solo become Han Solo? And I mean, sometimes it goes a bit too far about saying like where he got his name from and, and things like that. Um, where he got his gun. How yes. he got I, I, felt, I felt all of those fan service things were, um, cause you know, I, I went in very positive and, um, you know, as I said, beginning when I heard about this film being made, I was angry. Then I went in positive, hoping for the best. And I came out making excuses for Ron Howard, making excuses for the cast and seeing a lot of missed opportunities. And the checklist for the fanboys just became annoying, especially those fucking dice. Now that I know why they were inserted into um, The Last Jedi, where they made no sense. And now you realize that it was all just this brutal, you know, sorry, blatant attempt to um, Marvel, yeah, do, do try and create an extended universe. And it was just so obvious, so haphazard, haphanded or whatever you call it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the issues that they've, there seems to be, in, I don't know whether this is a, a casualty of the, what happened with the directors, but it feels the the start of the film feels very rushed. It feels like it's in a real rush to get him in you know doing the the heist sort of smuggler type sort of you know uh, dodgy dealings um you know pr practically within 20 minutes he's he's got the name he's got the gun he's got Chewbacca um and he's doing he's already on a mission um and it's like I would have liked to have seen more sort of more growth in the character rather than him sort of pr practically turning up fully formed you know it's the some of the really interesting bits is it's you know it shows um the Imperial um, Army at war with a random nation. It's very sort of World War One trench warfare. And that's literally about five five minutes. And it would be interesting to see, you know, if Han, because Hanso is such a good pilot and such a, and a good marksman, where did he learn these skills from? You know, where did he, how did he become such a good pilot? It, it just seems like, oh, he's just naturally talented. 
No, I wanted that as well. I, I think that, that when I mentioned uh, like the missed opportunities, I think looking at this film that I would have loved to have seen him go in completely green and be a really positive, hey, everything's going to be all right, wisecracking, hey, there's nothing to worry about. And I was hoping in this film he was going to go through some real tragedy, be double-crossed, and that was going to turn him into... Be bullies. Yeah, but I mean, we can't, we don't want to spoil it too much, but um, the, I think the... Yeah, I mean... I, I... I, th- I think that's it. It's just, yeah, we don't want to go into it too much, but I think that was the thing for me. That there wasn't much of a, considering this was his film, there wasn't much of a character arc for him. Yeah, he came a bit too fully formed. And there was that, um, I didn't think the droid worked very well. The Lando well, like, ticks a lot of boxes for stuff that's currently trending. Um, do you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think again, uh, comparing it to Rogue One, it's it's just very familiar. Rogue One had uh, was it K two S O, brilliantly played by. It was Arthur. amazing. Yeah, he was hilarious. You know, it was very sarcastic and droll. And you know, it's it's just repetition having a sassy droid uh, sidekick. And you know, in Rogue One, they they played it very well that you actually invested in the character and you were. You were gutted when when that droid, uh, you know, gets killed. You don't really care. About Sacrifices it. themselves. Yeah, you don't care Immensely. about the droid in this. Um, but overall, I mean, I think yeah, we're, we're being quite overly harsh on it. I mean, I'd still say in sort of the the five star rate system, I would say it's at a low three for me. It was it had entertaining parts, it had funny parts. It just could have been so much more. Absolutely. I'd feel bad giving it two stars. It was quite met, but it's a solid, I'd say it, it gets its three. It's not as good as Rogue One. And so that's kind of how you compare it, but it's a decent enough entertaining romp. The train sequence in the middle is good. It's worth a viewing. And as Ron Howard said, please go and see this film. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, as you say, how it affects um future future spin-offs because it's it's performed so badly i mean i think obviously it hasn't helped they've invested so much money with the reshoots so they're having to recoup a lot of money back um but you know they they have already announced there's james mangold who uh gave us the the amazing uh logan film the wolverine film last year uh he is writing and directing the boba fett film so that could be really interesting i think he's a really a really interesting choice again if they want to give it a bit, a bit of a, a western vibe uh and there's also i think it hasn't been announced but it's been heavily rumored that there's going to be a, an obi-wan kenobi spin-off and hopefully they can get uh, ewan mcgregor back and that could there's some really interesting uh, stories that I can focus on on is sort of wilderness years in Tatooine between sort of episodes three and four. Um, so yeah, I think you know the the machine's going to keep pumping them out, but I think they'll just be hopefully a little bit more careful with their choice of directors and or maybe even just giving their their directors a little bit more breathing space. It will be interesting, whichever is the next project. I guess it's the next chapter in Star Wars. Is that coming out this Christmas or is it next Christmas? Next Christmas, yeah, so uh, 2019. Um, I don't think they've even started uh, filming that yet. Yeah, okay. So moving on to our next, uh, the next film that we're taking a look at, Deadpool 2. Last but not least, Peter. Any power you want to tell us about? I don't don't have one. Um, I, I just saw the ad. You're in. So 
probably the best way to give a quick synopsis on this. This is, you know, the second entry into Deadpool. It's him assembling a team. It's connected, obviously, to the X-Men side of things. It's basically about a teenage outcast that he's sort of saddled up with at the beginning and him trying to protect him. But if that sounds a bit muddled, as funny as this film is, I think it does suffer from the rules uh, that it's kind of set for itself. Would you not agree with that, George? Yeah, so um, obviously Deadpool 1 was a, a surprise success. It was had been in development uh, hell for about 10 years and it was a, a low budget gamble from from Fox you know they I think it was about uh, 70 80 million budget you know compared to solo which I think <laughs> for all intents was around 250 million um, so yeah the it was and it was a huge success it was the most successful R-rated film of all time it was very funny you know brilliant casting um, you know Brian Reynolds is, is perfect choice for it um but that first film yeah was quite a mess it was it was very funny but the tonally and the plot is all over the place but it sort of kind of got by because it was so funny and and you know it's a bit like um the the film series shares a lot with kick-ass in a way that it was so refreshing and so different from the rest of the superhero genre i think you know people just were so surprised they fell in love with it um but yeah you're right um this time around it is a a sort of a, a sort of a, a classic case of you know a sequel of let's make it bigger better more um, characters and it, it can, more more characters i mean it's it's still a lot of fun that it's still very funny uh this there's some great action sequences so um the main change this time around so it's it's most of the same people are back um but the original director tim miller um again left over creative differences before production be- uh, began but they brought in a very wise choice they got in uh, one of the the directors of john wick uh, david leachin um so yeah i think that really works for the the upped action scenes um but uh, yeah, it's uh, I say it's it's more of the same for both the good and the bad. Yeah, but I think what I meant is the whole fact that it's, it's always constantly breaking the fourth wall. But I mean that's part of his of his shtick. It's um, you know he can't he's not gonna it's not gonna be a typical hero movie, but in many ways it ends up being one anyway. So <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's the problem with this one. Is it? It's, it's trying to. I think one of its uh, flaws is it's trying to, by trying to be bigger and trying to be bolder, it's trying to add more depth to the character. And I don't think Deadpool as a character or as a franchise really needs to to have depth. The, its main drive is the comedy. But I suppose again, like Kickass, there's only. You need to keep it fresh, and it needs to be surprising. Whereas it's no longer; it's not as shocking as the first because you've already seen it already. Yeah, but uh, then there's obviously the marketing overload, where he was everywhere and everything. They did the funny thing with our nearest and dearest Celine. She did that great music video, and she did a she did a song for it. It's like every big film needs a big song like that. So, but it was like he was everywhere. You could not avoid the marketing. Was was almost a little bit too much. Yes, it it was very clever, but almost too clever. Yeah, as you say, it was everywhere and across everything. Like even as far as um, in America, I don't think they did it over here, but they 
uh, every Fox film, they released like Deadpool covers for every Fox film. So basically Deadpool had inserted himself into loads of different films, DVD covers. Um, I've seen so that, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there's still a lot of fun. I say it's, it's very funny. It's got, um, some, the new cast members. So, um, there's Domino whose superpower is luck. She's played by Daisy Beats, I think is her, her name. I think she's really good. I'd like to see more of her. Um, and you've got man of the moment, uh, Josh Brolin playing the, the sort of the, the antagonist cable. Um, Obviously not as a, uh, a blinding performance as his uh, turn in Avengers as Thanos, but um, still, you know, gruff, uh, a gruff character, and uh, he's a lot of fun. I liked him in this. I thought it was good to see him kind of looking like normal Josh Brolin with his normal kind of voice and without the sort of fantasy side of Marvel. It was nice. To, I mean, I know obviously this is still fantasy, but it was a bit more grounded. And so, yeah, I did. I, I, I thought he was good in it. And almost, uh, I think you, you mentioned this to me, felt like they could have had more of him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd, uh, I, I did think, you know, similar to, to Solo, I think they could have done more with, he could have been in it more, but it is, you know, ultimately it is Deadpool's movie. It is Ryan Reynolds' film. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had. I mean, the um, I'm not spoiling anything, but, you know, stay for the, the end credit sequence because they're some of the funniest parts of the film. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, are we being too harsh on this, you know, in terms of did, what did, what, what should we be expecting from Deadpool films, you know? Um, and what does this mean for X-Men in general? Because I know there's another X-Men sort of 2.0 coming out, isn't there? Yeah. It's, it's a little bit up in the air. There's a, there's another sort of the last of the, the, the young X-Men, the first class group, there's uh, Dark Phoenix is coming out next year. That's been delayed by by reshoots and script problems, apparently. And the whole um, the whole X-Men franchise is a little bit up in the air because uh, X-Men is uh, owned by 20th Century Fox and they are currently in a, a merger slash union slash takeover by Disney. So, um, <laughs> yeah, who knows what could be on the horizon. But I think Deadpool is so successful and profitable. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him on in some capacity. And because of the character's fourth wall breaking, you could easily have him turn up with a completely brand new and you've recast the whole X-Men and rebooted the whole X-Men and you could keep Deadpool as Ryan Reynolds and I don't think anyone would really care or mind it. If anything, it would it would be perfect. Yeah, I think I think I think that would work well. But um I mean I, I enjoyed it. There's some great gags in it. And it's um yeah, it just it doesn't have the shock, surprise and originality of the first, but um you know, on a, on a sliding scale, went and saw you know Infinity War, Infinity War, and was like so satisfied. That was brilliant. Went and saw Deadpool, was satisfied, just slightly less so. And then you get to watch Solo and just very meh. Too many films in the same month. Yeah, and I, th- I think that is another reason why uh, Solo hasn't performed uh, so well. Is is just the fact it's, it's too crowded a marketplace. Yeah, obviously in in uh, the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in in. France, Charlie, that the weather has been uh, unreasonably kind to us this time of year. It's been really good weather. And as yeah. a result, people, you know, avoid sitting in a, a dark, cold room um, when they'd rather Absolutely. be in the 
Um, so what else have we got to look forward to coming out of the summer? I know there's there's one film that you and I are both looking forward to, which is the next installment in the Mission Impossible franchise. What's it called? Fallout. Mission Impossible Fallout. So yeah, um, I think this is my, my sort of after Avengers uh, was my is my most anticipated uh, blockbuster of the year. Um, I you know really enjoyed. Well, you and I have been um, big fans of the Mission Impossible franchise, all of them, even even Mission Impossible Two. Um, from, from the get from the get go, and they these films have you know the last few have been have had a bit of a renaissance and have really challenged you know the sort of bond stakes and and born in terms of being you know re- a real real great really strong spy action flicks and uh, so yeah this is um, directed uh, again by I've completely forgotten his name it is. We we saw him at the uh, it was Muck Muck. We saw him at the Empire show. It's- Christopher Macquarie. Yeah, so it's directed by uh, Christopher Macquarie, who is a frequent uh, collaborator with Tom Cruise. So he wrote and directed the the first Jack Reacher film. He did rewrites on Edge of Tomorrow, um, and he or he wrote and directed the last Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a even though. The Mission Impossible films until now have have had sort of almost guest directors. It's been a different director every time. Uh, I think he did such a good job on Rogue Nation. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to see what he's got to offer again. And if the trailer is anything to go by, it looks like there's going to be some amazing stunts. Um, you know, some real spectacle and uh, some great casting to see the the dashingly handsome Henry Cavill with an amazing mustache uh, play. Play it up as the villain from the looks no, I of can't, it. Anyway. I can't. Yeah, is he a villain? Well, 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 or is he? I, well, we won't know. But no, I mean, checking out the the Halo jump because um, we thought that Pierce Brosnan was the first person to ever do a Halo jump. It turns out that that might not be true, and Tom Cruise has done it for real, hasn't he? <laughs> well, you know, Pierce might have uh, offered to do it for real, but he's obviously just too good looking. Yeah, it's, um, but no, very, very excited to see that. And then there's also, uh, what else have we got coming out, George? There's, I'm just trying to think. Um, so we've got, um, I, I'd, I'd say the other uh, the other film, and it's sort of another tenuous link to Mission Impossible, is uh, Incredibles 2 um, by Brad Bird, who did uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, so yeah, um, again, you and I, um, because it's that whole sort of, spy slash superhero um feel we both loved the the first incredibles film and it's uh, quite a belated sequel isn't it absolutely it's 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 probably it's i'd say it's at the my top three like i think it's at shock horror i think it's better than all of the toy stories personally i i loved the first film for me it's got everything but i suppose it's kind of directed towards the type of films i like but it was so yeah. good you know, so many funny things. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, it is, I'd say it's, it's arguably, I think a lot of people forget about it when they're talking about superhero films, but I'd say it's one of the best films in the superhero genre. I mean, I know sort of Pixar have their own little sort of niche genre, but uh, yeah, re- really excited about that. Um, I mean, to, to a less extent, I think we've got a Jurassic World 
2, a Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, is uh, is out next week uh, in the UK. We're getting it before the States do, but uh, currently no sort of reviews are out yet. Uh, the marketing is fairly atrocious. There's some really cringeworthy Odeon ads with Chris uh, Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard introducing the film uh, and trying to be funny. Um, the, the trailers show the entire plot, um, but who knows, it may be... It may, I did. I, I didn't enjoy the first one. Uh, sorry, the first re the what was it? Uh, Jurassic World. I, I was just expecting a bigger bad. That's how they read they, the marketing of that made you expect that you were going to get to see something you'd never seen before. And I thought it was that whichever the the sea dinosaur is. I can't remember the exact name for it. But when you kept seeing that, I said, "Oh, maybe it's going to be amphibious. It's going to be in the water. It's going to be able to fly. It's going to be something you've never ever seen." And it wasn't. It was. It was. Do you know? I think they that was bad marketing and Chris Pratt playing a very similar character to Star Lord. So I don't know. You enjoyed it though. You enjoyed the first. One. Yeah, I uh, I went into it with uh, I mean it, I think it was one of the first uh, outings to the cinema I had uh, after my daughter was born and it ticked all the boxes for me in terms of classic popcorn entertainment. I was I was thrilled. I laughed. Um, but then you know it, it, in typical sort of popcorn junk food fashion, as soon as you know shortly afterwards, a bit like you know devouring a McDonald's, I instantly <laughs> regretted it. It was sort of like <laughs> oh yeah. That, that film just fell apart. Like the plot made no sense and and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think from a sort of an action spectacle and it had some nice nods to the original Jurassic Park, which we're going to talk about in our next retro ramble episode. Um, But yeah, I know who knows it could, it could go either way. It's an interesting choice of director. He's uh, more of a horror themed director. I think it's uh, J Antonio uh, is a Spanish director. Um, well, that's but maybe yeah. what it needs—a scary, yeah. a scary version. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the main main two that I think we're we're on the same page that it's uh, Mission Impossible, Fallout, and Incredibles Two uh, are, the, are the the big two for the summer that that we're looking forward to. I'm just trying to work out: is Mission Impossible Fallout going to be about nuclear fallout, or is it going to be about the group falling out? You know, there's there just going to be a big fight. I'm not talking to him. I hate him. I I think it has many many meanings. Right, it's a double double meaning. Okay, so as George mentioned there in our next uh, back to the regular show retro ramble, um, we will be reviewing the original Jurassic Park. Um, so stay tuned for that, George. Anything else you want to mention before we sign off? Uh, no, I'm just just a warning ahead of time. I'm sure the Jurassic Park episode will have lots of bad Jeff Goldblum impressions, um, but uh, those can't be avoided. We love the guy. It's it's understandable. Indeed, indeed is. Uh, no, that's that's uh, all it is. But uh, yeah, as as always, uh, check us out on uh, we're on as as we said uh, retroramble.blog. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts on Solo, on uh, on Deadpool. You know, uh, were we right? Were we wrong? And uh, yeah, let, let us know. And to quote Peter Kay, to get us coming in your ears, you just need to check us out on Spotify. We're on Libsyn, and we're now also on Stitcher. So you can get covered in all of our episodes. So uh, without further uh, banter from us, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye-bye.